welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Clancy Gray. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te Shwetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmakulu. And today's text, Darkest Minds, is set sort of, some of it anyway, sort of, yeah. mm-hmm. in Salem, Virginia. The majority of the text is set in Virginia, and Salem is the town that we have the name of. These are the traditional lands of the Tutelo peoples. And Joe, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how I have a serial killer name, but this is the first time I have shared a last name. With the psychotic antagonist of a book we've read. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that you me. have a serial killer name is because <laughs> you have three of them. And uh, I guess if you feel a kinship to this individual, then good for you. <laughs> I do not. I do not like Clancy Gray. But okay. his dad is played by Bradley Whitford in the film, and so that is good. There we go. Take yeah. That. Well, before we get into The Darkest Minds, we should acknowledge that this was a listener request. So, Brenna, this came to us courtesy of M, and M is a 13-year-old listener, and they politely asked that we not be too cruel to this book. So, M, <laughs> we will do our best, and thank you for your request. Thank you for your request, and I don't feel any need to be especially cruel to this book. I do have some pretty big questions about yeah. some components of it, but... I think what's interesting is that M acknowledges that they have read all four books in this series. And Mm -hmm. I think we are missing a lot of crucial information by only reading one because this is not a standalone book. No, and Joe and I both struggled with, there's a lot of exposition. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of sort of fairly slow moving world building. It's a long book. It's like 500 pages and surprisingly little really happens in Mm -hmm. it for the length of it and i think i think that if you're not fully invested in the world that is a little bit hard to overcome so i think that yeah if we had more context and more of the series we would probably uh, have a clearer sense of of some of the things we have questions about but Guess we should get into a plot summary? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> okay. Take us through. So The Darkest Minds is written by Alexandra Bracken, and it focuses on the character of Ruby. Ruby is living in a world where around the time that kids turn 10, they either develop sort of super heroic powers, yeah. things like being able to control other people's minds or like telekinesis, moving objects with their minds, doing mm-hmm. puzzles real good, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that power's not so great. No, sucks to be green. (laughs) (laughs) Or uh, they die. Those are the two options. And so uh, the society in which Ruby lives, and this is definitely set in a sort of future dystopian America where this Mm -hmm. happens, the response is to at first worry about the children, um, Mm -hmm. but then fear them. Oh, yeah. People are real, real scared of these kids. (laughs) Yeah. If a kid has survived, then um, they are extremely dangerous. Now, something that's interesting that happens in the book is 
society as a whole has to reckon with what a society looks like that is no longer producing children. Mm-hmm. And those were the aspects of this dystopia that I found the most interesting. Right, which is probably why you were a little bit disappointed or maybe frustrated because the text itself is less interested in that. Yeah, so there end up being this series of camps to sort of house these kids with superpowers and keep them away mm-hmm. from general population. Um, they're designed to sort, sort of quote-unquote cure them, but really they're just warehousing them and sometimes killing them. I mean, let's be honest, there's some pretty heavily coded concentration camp vibes going on here, right? Yeah, definitely. And we have um, a number of organizations. So there's the government. It has a set of troops called the PSF who Mm -hmm. are collecting up these kids with psychic powers. And then you also have the Children's League, who are a group of rebels who are really not for the children so much as they are against the government. And so they're using the kids who they quote unquote rescue to basically turn them into weapons against the government. Yeah. And that was the part that I was really interested in. And I definitely get the impression based on where the first book and film ends that I would be more interested in the sequel. Yes, I think that there are all these political machinations around this jostling for power. And what's important is that the kids come to recognize over time that they can't actually trust any adults because all the adults are either government (laughs) or children's league, but none Mm -hmm. of them are in it for the kids themselves. No, this is classic YA territory, right? Like you cannot trust an adult in sight. No. So our protagonists are Ruby, Liam, Chubbs, and Zoo. So Ruby ends up being, quote unquote, liberated from the camp Mm -hmm. by the Children's League. And she likes the woman who liberates her. But the guy who they meet up with freaks her out. She can read something very sinister in his past. And she Mm -hmm. can read that he's been violent with children. So she takes off. Oh, right. We should note that Ruby's power is that she can get into people's minds. She doesn't know how to influence them in the early parts of the book, but she can glimpse their memories. But she can't really control it. So it seems to happen like if she's emotionally overtaken, she will sort of suddenly see into someone's mind, but she can't really shape it in any way. No. And she's an orange within this constellation, which is like the second scariest color that you can be. Yeah, red is like, you're basically a bomb waiting to go off. And the insinuation in the book is that all of the reds were identified and immediately executed because it was too dangerous. Yeah, and at first, Ruby's not sure if they were executed or taken away to another camp. In truth, why not both? Uh, Right, exactly. We we find out later that the reds are being turned into basically a security force. Ruby, Mm -hmm. as an orange, is one of the few remaining oranges And the reason she has survived this long is because she used her ability to sort of shape or influence people to convince the person who first examined her at the camp that she was actually a green. And so she's been lying low ever since. Mm -hmm. When she escapes from Claire, she comes upon, as I said, Liam, Chubbs, and Zoo, who are already traveling together, having escaped a different camp. Right. And basically the book is their adventures cross country looking for this place called East River. So much traveling yeah. in Black Betty, the van that they have stolen, and the adventures they have along the way. It's a lot, and honestly, it's a little bit repetitive. It's like, risky situation, resolution, risky situation, resolution, risky situation, resolution. And it's mm-hmm. um, 
I think if you're invested in the characters, the stakes are probably pretty exciting. But if you're not, it's a little repetitive. Well, I think the problem, too, is that they're under threat from so many different people, but it's always one at a time. So they'll make a stop and Lady Jane, the British import bounty hunter lady, will attack them. And then they'll get away from her and then it'll be the Children's League and then... I, I don't know. By the time they finally get to the skip kid and the kids camp where all of the superpowered kids have been hiding out, I was actually pretty relieved because it just felt like the story was going to go somewhere new. I agree. There's too much. <laughs> I, normally complain, I normally complain about walking. There's too much deriving. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Brenna, this is a new low for you. There's just too much middle stuff. When they get to East River, it gets exciting again. When they get right. to East River, they find that there's this guy they've been looking for, the slip kid. He's really the president's son. And it turns mm-hmm. out that the president's son, you know, he's built this utopia for children. But really, <gasps> much like everyone else who helps anyone in this book, he's secretly evil. And um, hmm. he's really trying to use his powers as an orange to influence and control his father and therefore influence and control everything. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of stuff happens, and they escape-ish. Zoo goes off with... Zoo finds a cousin, which is really nice, because she's obviously been deeply traumatized by her experiences, and she finds some family and and goes off with them. Mm -hmm. Chubbs and Ruby and Liam are able to escape together, although Liam is brutally beaten in the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are trying to deliver a series of letters. So they have letters from some kids who did not manage to escape the camp that they were in together oh, and man. i love that you're caring about this because i totally blanked out <laughs> on this part i was like oh right they have to deliver this letter oh chubbs got shot okay random way to end this book uh yeah i guess that happens well and one of the things that ruby keeps pointing out to them is it's weird that they're going across country with this letter for jack's dad when they haven't read it even though it might contain a clue but they mm-hmm. won't read it because they want to protect his confidentiality or whatever um mm-hmm. except that what they don't realize is that it's a big it's a big it's a letter of an to F-U jack's letter. dad yeah and, and then so... jack's dad shoots chubbs and you think yeah. oh okay well once again just more adults we can't trust and so of course Ruby wants to help him. She has a tracker with her still from the Children's League. She presses it. The Children's League comes. They secure help for Chubbs. And in the process, she has to wipe Liam's memory of her so that he can walk away. Oh, there was a love story there, by the way. Who could really Who know? Who care? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. In this book, I could not with these two. They don't have a lot of chemistry. It's true. Right? Like, I've never seen written characters not have chemistry. I'm used to not seeing chemistry on the screen. But when these two start to hook up, I just thought, oh, I knew it was coming, but I don't buy it at all. No, I, no, I don't really know what the problem with it is, except that I don't think that we get, maybe it's just not, it sounds terrible to say, but maybe it's just not enough time with them, considering how much time, it just seems like Bracken spends too much time on the wrong things in this text. Like in that plot summary I gave, I think I spent more time on the last 25 pages of the book than mm-hmm. on the other 500. And that's Yeah, seems the like end a of the book does feel hyper accelerated. Like I really think half of this book should have been spent in East River and really exploring it. And of course, we are dancing around part of the reason why the book is structured this way, Brenna. And I'm going to encourage us to move away from the plot summary because who could care? (laughs) Let's talk about the fact that this 
is a reimagining of Watership Down. Yes. It, I, yes. So. (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't know if Brenna's going to like this. (laughs) We get these breadcrumbs in the form of Chubb's keeping up book with him all the time that is like part of Watership Down. It's like a ripped out section of Watership Down. Mm Mm-hmm. And the whole time, Ruby is desperate to talk to Chubbs about it because it's a book that she shared with her father and loved. Right. And yes, the book is trying to parallel the experiences of Watership Down. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is very successful. I mean, there's a metaphor that is sustained through the idea that East River feels safe, but that's the exact reason why they shouldn't stay because the people in power are keeping them docile, not Mm -hmm. safe. And the difference between those two things is obviously thematically central to Watership Down and important Mm -hmm. to this book. But... uh, It doesn't really go much further than that, right? No, and... You know, we've talked about Watership Down, obviously, on the show. It's an incredibly rich text. Yeah. I love the idea of a reimagining of Watership Down, but this doesn't sustain the metaphor long Mm -hmm. enough to be satisfying, I don't think. I think part of my problem is that the characters in Watership Down are also really distinct and richly layered. And Mm -hmm. here... These are pretty kind of rote dystopian characters. Like the thing that distinguishes Liam is that he's brave. And the thing that distinguishes Chubbs is that he's smart and also Mm -hmm. fat. So let's just address the nickname of it all is because Mm -hmm. he is overweight. And I guess that was the thing. Okay. Don't worry, everybody. They fixed it in the movie. He's formerly overweight in the movie. Thank goodness. I was really worried. (laughs) But yeah, I mean... One of my big struggles with this book is that it's not bad and it's not good either. It's Mm. just so firmly middle of the road. And when you read people's responses to it and you look at the reviews for the film, that seems to be where everybody lands is that it's okay, but it's not really doing anything exceptionally well. And it's not really crap in the bed in any ways either. So it's just kind of is yeah and i think you know in fairness if i pick this up as a teenager i'm probably gonna read the rest of the series to find out what happens to liam in particular i think i would have found liam the more compelling character than ruby as a teen oh boy ruby girl i spent (sighs) maybe 80 percent of this book She's so in her head, and I get it, mm-hmm. right? It's a very teenagery thing to do. We also have to acknowledge that, A, she's super traumatized. She's not processing mm-hmm. it. She also mm-hmm. didn't have a childhood because she grew up mm-hmm. in this camp for six years. Like, everyone is astounded when they learn how long she was in the camp for because mm-hmm. her experience is six times longer than anybody else's. So I get that she is working through a lot, but also she's not working through any of it. So she spends the whole book just saying oh i can't tell anybody what i can do i'm dangerous they should leave me by the side of the road at their first opportunity and i just thought or you could communicate with these people yeah Mm -hmm. it's a very adult criticism to have but i just wanted her (laughs) to open her mouth and talk to these people You know, it is an adult criticism to have, but it's also one of the problems with the mid-section of the book in general, is that 
over and over again, the problem could be resolved by Ruby speaking. Yes. Over and over again, the problem could be resolved by Liam listening. Over mm-hmm. and over again, the problem could be resolved by Chubbs having confidence, right? And it's just like, right. they keep having drama that revolves around those three personality quirks Mm -hmm. and it's too much and yes this character is traumatized and yes dealing with trauma is a really important thing that ya does now better than it ever has and also there's no character growth and it's exhausting yeah yeah and and again i wonder if we read all four books if we would have the same criticisms or if we would see oh okay this is Mm -hmm. the first part of ruby's arc and in book two she gets a whole new chapter where she gets to experience and grow and become a richer character. The problem is, so. is that I don't feel like Bracken earns that. Yeah. I agree with you. If I was a younger reader, I would gobble this up and be very interested to see where this goes. Because the, the cliffhanger is legitimately pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. But as a more discerning adult who's read a fair amount of dystopian YA, I just go, hmm, this needed to be its own thing. Like, you can't build everything and then try to say, hey, great cliffhanger, don't you want to come back for the next one? Like, I need a more contained story. Also, like, (laughs) that we're talking about 2,000 pages of investment by the time you add up all these four books. And, like, that's cool when you don't have a job. But, like, what <laughs> you do, that's a lot to ask for. I need a pretty good hook in the first. And, unfortunately, while the cliffhanger is extremely grippy, and I do want to know what happens, mm-hmm. the rest of it makes me not eager to revisit a text of this length with this author which is a shame because i think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here but i will also say that that's why i really wanted the film to be better than it was because i could totally see this being a series of films that i watch as opposed Mm. to a series of books that i read yeah and maybe that's a good opportunity to transition over i'm gonna take that again because what the (laughs) was that (laughs) i liked it i'll keep it then okay Soon, there wouldn't be any kids, anywhere. The government wasn't afraid of what happened to the ones that didn't make it. They were afraid of us. Because the ones that survived, changed. Ruby, you are very rare. Among the most powerful. We know our time is near. We're going to a place where kids can live together on the outside. The only people who would ever help us were us. Whatever happens, don't stop! For their safety and yours, please turn over your children. I'm smart enough to know you're hiding something. And you're smart enough to be hiding it. I just didn't want you to be afraid of me. The more that I try to control it, the more damage that I do. I can show you how to use your strengths the way they're meant to be used. 
right, so The Darkest Minds comes out in 2018. It is directed by Jennifer U. Nelson, and it was written by Chad Hodge. And it's interesting because I've seen a bunch of other things that Chad Hodge has worked on, and it's been pretty smart genre fare. So I honestly expected a bit more from him. Interesting. Yeah, so the cast has a couple of repeats. We've got Amanda Stenberg from The Hate You Give. Always good to see her. Actually, I looked her up and I realized we have done more of her <laughs> films than I think any other young actor on the show. Because she was in Everything Everything too, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So our stunt casting is Mandy Moore as Kate, who is with the Children's League. We have, as you mentioned, Bradley Whitford as President Gray. Don't get excited. He's only in about one scene. Disappointing amount of Bradley Whitford for the mom audience, <laughs> I gotta say. Aww, maybe next time. <laughs> we have Harris Dickinson, who is not a Hemsworth brother, playing Liam Stewart. <laughs> that was a joke for people who know who the Hemsworths are. And then we have Patrick Gibson as Clancy Gray, who is the principal antagonist. And then Skylin Brooks as Chubbs. Gwendolyn Christie as Lady Jane. Folks, don't get excited. She's also in about one scene. Way underused. Wow. Yeah. And then finally, Maya Check as Zoo. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is these are all very good actors. Like, yes. love me some Amanda Stenberg. I've never not enjoyed her in a role until uh, now. And yeah. it's not even that she's bad in the role. It's just that this movie is deeply boring. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the book is a series of missed opportunities where I found the things going on at the margins more interesting than the things happening at the center. And the film really doubles down on that because there is no world building except for the basic outline like this is what's happening with the kids and society has fallen into disrepair and that's it and then we're on the road with these characters and i agree with you i was looking through this cast and i thought i have enjoyed all of these people in other things Mm -hmm. and i don't really care about much of anything that's happening in this film no it's um it's disappointing honestly because as i say This is actually a film adaptation that I was really looking forward to because my Mm -hmm. thinking was the book sprawls too much. And what does film do really well? It cuts out the sprawl, right? Mm -hmm. And I was really excited to see what a streamlined version of this story would look like. And instead, it seems to somehow preserve a lot of the rambling. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure what it cuts, which might be a critique of the book more than the film. But... It's still not tight. There's still not enough time spent in East River. Mm-hmm. It's just a series of very strange choices. And I feel for Amanda Stenberg in particular because this character is not written well. No. And there should be a lot of emotional depth. So we haven't talked about it, but Ruby's backstory is that before she couldn't control her powers, mm-hmm. she, oh my God, it's actually, there's, it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Her mom is really upset. Her mom is not coping well with the fact that it's Ruby's 10th birthday because of what happens when kids turn 10-ish. Mm-hmm. And she's really, it's almost like she's pre-grieving her child. Mm-hmm. And Ruby says to her, like, and holds her hands and says, I don't want you to worry about me. And erases her mother's entire memory of her. 
Well, she erases both parents both in the them. book. And in the yeah. film, she only erases her mom, which makes no sense. It's because... a very weird choice because it means that her dad basically goes along with sending her away exactly. for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. So in the book, you've got this like absolutely heartbreaking backstory. Mm-hmm. The power and the trauma there is ironically not given enough attention. Mm-hmm. To help explain who Ruby is. Like, you have to do a lot of putting the pieces together for yourself there. And then in the film, it's just totally absent. Like, there's nothing for her to do with this character. And it is bizarre. Well, Brenna, that is not entirely true. You can tell by the tone of my voice where I'm going to go with this. The role she gets to play in the film is falling in love with Liam. Oh, gosh. Now, I (laughs) I will say... Joe, and I was like... (laughs) Why are all the boys so the same? Like, is there a casting director who just specializes in white boys who all look the same? Or like, yeah. what is the deal? Yeah, it's called Hollywood, Brenna. That's, that's <laughs> how it operates. I will say I buy the romance more in the film. And I do I think that that's you. actually where we're spending more time. It's a lot of the same events, but we're putting Liam and Ruby more together so that they are going through it together so that they are falling in love and their connection is more meaningful. But as a result, Ruby is much less the agent in her own life in the film, which is basically the only thing the book has going for it is a a fairly (laughs) decent shake-in of girl power. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing that the film does, and we have seen this in a lot of the dystopians that we have talked about, is it makes the mistake of saying, well, there's spectacular visual opportunities here. So I would say if you're at all interested in the film, what you get is some minorly compelling X-Men-like superpowers that you get to see. So like people are whipping people around through the air, the Mm -hmm. entire sequence at the end of the film has been augmented so the east river showdown is really big in the book you barely get to see it because ruby's not involved so she just sees the aftermath and of course in the movie they show you everything so you have reds jumping out of a helicopter and forming a circle and then just firing fire out of their mouths and setting everything on fire i just said fire five times because the whole scene is about fire it's all very Uh, exciting the problem is is that the emotional investment isn't quite there so you're like cool special effects i've seen this in other movies Mm -hmm. this is just kind of giving me a bit more of the same and full credit the special effects are actually not bad like most of those scenes i don't find particularly cringy like i have in some of the other films Mm -hmm. visually actually i think the film does a good job i really like the vibe at east river that Mm -hmm. whole scene one thing that the book and the film i think could both push a little more on is the sort of lord of the flies type imagery from east river like Uh, okay the problem with east river is that it's lord of the flies if Mm -hmm. the worst kid is in control from minute one right right but yeah all this to say like i think visually the film is doing a really interesting job these are good actors but the script is just it's a technical term it's just it is a very technical term you're right (laughs) i very much agree with you when you said that it's learned all the wrong lessons from the book and then leaned into it and the story is very much falling into that it's kids with superpowers on the run but Mm -hmm. a lot of the time you just think okay cool what else have you got oh nothing okay you (laughs) that's that's it that's the selling feature like 
the premise and the hook is everything. And then you scratch the surface and there just isn't enough below it. But Joe, we are totally on our own for this, right? Because the reviews have been amazing and the box office was <laughs> staggering. Folks, this is the first time that Brenna has ever sent me any kind of text or message that involved box office numbers. So clearly I had been working an influence on her. Maybe I got into your mind, Brenna. Did I like rearrange? Are you an orange? Yeah. Are you an yeah. orange? I could be an orange. <laughs> Let's face it. I'm definitely a green. <laughs> We're both greens, Joe. <laughs> we'll just be over in the corner, like doing podcasting a and doing a puzzle. <laughs> so uh, true. Yeah, so Brenna sent me a text message that said, this movie made $41 million. <laughs> and folks, sadly enough, it had a budget of 34. And that 41 is worldwide, which is a shockingly bad number. So this movie didn't just get bad reviews and wasn't widely embraced. It was firmly rejected. Like, nobody cared about this movie. <laughs> it's wild to me. It's absolutely wild to me. Like... You know, we have watched a lot of dystopians about teens, mm -hmm. and the bar is higher than this. And we all know that I don't even think Hunger Games or Divergent is that good, right. but it's better than this. And particularly the film. Like, I think the book is probably fine. And I think the sequels would lend responses to all the things I have problems with, except for one thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, and we didn't, I should have mentioned it in the book section, but okay. Clancy's history lesson to the kids of East River. Oh yeah, you love One that. of the most upsetting things I've read. So, you know, they all see him as a hero. And the reason for mm -hmm. that is because he's inside their brains. It's not because they actually think he's a hero. He's just controlling their minds. So they think yeah. he's a hero. Yeah. Which when, again, you take that step back, holy cow. But again, neither book nor film really does anything except to say, oh, wow, we don't feel the way we actually feel. We should get out of here. What's interesting about both the book and the film is what power is doing, and neither one of them are, like, interested in it at all. Nah. Mm -mm. But all this to say, in addition to just being able to, like, solve everyone's problems and resolve every conflict, Clancy mm -hmm. is also, like, apparently the camp professor who just, yes. like, goes around giving guest lectures to small children about different topics. Oh, my gosh. And Ruby watches him give this lecture on U.S. history, and she's absolutely, like, in awe of how good he is at talking about U.S. history. Mm -hmm. But what struck me about that scene is that Clancy simply perpetuates all the same lies mm -hmm. we were all told our whole childhoods about American history, right? It's like yep. Pilgrims and Plymouth Rock and the kind-hearted um, oh Native goodness. Americans helping them and blah, 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 blah. And it's like... Mm -hmm. The book isn't even self-aware. I don't think that's a comment on Clancy's character, unfortunately, because what I no. wanted was some kind of interrogation of that moment. Uh, why are we replicating the same lies that we were told? Shouldn't we be doing things better now that mm -hmm. we're in control kind of conversation? There's nothing. The book is not at all even curious about Clancy's perspective here. And I found it so enraging <laughs> because it just passes in about two pages. But to me, it tells you everything you need to know about how non-revolutionary this book about a dystopia is which I find very strange. Yeah, you know, I'll admit, I probably would have glossed right by it unless you hadn't sent it to me. And when you did, I realized that it really is reinforcing the fact that I don't think that Bracken realizes where the truly interesting things about her story are. Like, mm -hmm. 
you've got this child despot who can control everyone and as you said solve every conflict in power replicating the exact same things that he in the book at least says he is trying to undo because he doesn't like his father or the way that the adults have run things like he his plan is to literally produce a child army that will overthrow the government so he can be in control and do things differently and then he gives this speech this history lesson which reinforces the fact that he does things the exact same way but there's no self-awareness in the text about that and Mm -hmm. it feels like such a missed opportunity yeah i agree to me it's just emblematic of what the book isn't interested in which is Mm -hmm. any kind of political revolution which you know for all its faults suzanne collins is very curious about income inequality and geographic distribution of wealth and like Mm -hmm. very real issues she may deal with it clumsily but she's curious and interested about it right yeah this is falling more on the divergent yeah yeah and even less curious about the world somehow and it's just very strange to me to invest this kind of time and space in creating a dystopian world that isn't actually a social critique of anything Mm -hmm. i find that weird well and again This is when we would love to hear from any listeners who have read other books in the series. So if this is something that the book series does eventually do, let us know because I am curious to know. And I'm also not curious enough to look it up for myself. (laughs) It just seems to me that I don't think Bracken is even aware of what she's reinforcing and reinscribing here. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a bummer too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, for a side note, I wanted to let you know that The Giver, the film that you love so much, oh made $67 million. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, with a more high-profile adult cast behind it, though. Many more is no Meryl Streep or Jeff Bridges. Although I do find her presence warm and welcoming in this film. I do. I, You know what? I always like her. She's just very pleasant to look at basically Mm -hmm. and she always brings a lot to every character and in fact she does create a complexity in kate that i think is interesting right it's not at all clear to me in the film version oh i have no idea how to read her no i don't think the children's league in the film is actually evil And that is ultimately my, like, what do we do with this? Because it (laughs) seems like the leadership of the Children's League in the film version is actually children, right? And we have this very Hunger Games-esque scene at the end with, like, everybody shares a hand signal together or whatever. I did not care for that. And sidebar, (laughs) that image is in the trailer. Oh, no. Oh, babies. You tried so hard. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think... I don't know. And I think that that ambiguity could have been something interesting to mine, mm-hmm. but instead it just is there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's all set up for the sequel that we'd never get. Yeah. 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 Shall we play a quick game of YA bingo? Yes, we shall. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right, start us off. What have you got? We've got coincidental classes at mm-hmm. the camp and at school where they do the terrible grief counseling and with Clancy's lessons. And with Watership Down. Well, it's not coincidental. They're not studying it in school, Joe. They would have to be taking an English class where they're reading Watership Down oh for coincidental gosh. classes to fit for These that. rigid constraints that you put on these categories. <laughs> you are thinking of illusion, which we took off the board. That's all I'll say. <sighs> 
we've obviously got a road trip and a road trip and a road trip mm-hmm. and a road trip. So a road many trip. road trips. Yes. We've got magic supernatural. Mm-hmm. We've got borrowed time. We've got the chosen one. Mm-hmm. We've got CGI. Mm-hmm. And Joe, mm-hmm. we have abuse. Do we? Yeah. Just because Clancy's every, dad's torture of parent. him. <laughs> Oh, you were, oh, you're being funny. I see. Okay. Um, so like, that's a line right there. Let's just say that's a line yeah. right there. Yeah. Obviously we've got dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some hollow romances in the book, unfortunately. I would say so. But I am going to acknowledge that the friendship between both Liam and Chubbs and both of them with Zoo feels very mm-hmm. authentic to me in both texts. I agree, and actually, I would give credit to the emergent friendship between Ruby and Chubbs, because mm-hmm. we have to earn it, and yes. therefore, I care about it more than the sort of thrown-together romance with Liam. Okay, okay. What have you got? Okay, so I have a perfect date, more so in the film, because Liam and Ruby seem to have a, a series of just like, oh, this is really fun, and yes, it often does end in some kind of spectacular action sequence, <laughs> like, I'm thinking of that moment in the mall, but... I think it definitely fits the bill. I give it to you. Okay. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is an inclusion flip because I don't read Ruby as a person of color in the book. We're not really told. We're told that she has dark, curly, unruly hair, which I guess, mm-hmm. depending on how you read, you could read in multiple directions, but we're not actually told. Um, But right. I was really glad to see some of the racial politics. They don't get explored enough, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But anytime you get to use Amanda, that's a great thing. So exactly, yeah. I have stunt casting for Mandy Moore or Mandy Bradley Moore. Whitford. Mostly Again, Mandy depends Moore. on how much you want to push it. <laughs> I have a house porn for that final sequence with the Children's League because they oh, yeah. literally have a wall that moves when you like press a keypad, and I thought, yeah, well, that's cool. fancy and state of the art. Mm-hmm, I agree. Naturally, we've got a montage. Action montage. Action montage. Oh my god, the whole movie, it's like one giant action montage. I've got aged up because, of course, uh, Bandla is 18 when she filmed this, and the character is meant to be 16, but more specifically, Harris Dickinson is 20 years old when he films this. That's Liam. Gross. Which you can tell because uh, he (laughs) is a fully grown adult man. Yeah, It's actually a problem... If you care about the stakes of this world at all, because mm-hmm. the age matters a lot. And I know in the book, Liam looks the closest to 20 of all of them. But one of the things that happens over and over again is that Ruby is scared because, mm-hmm. you know, Liam looks so boyish and he's off trying to like interact with other adults. So Right. He does not look boyish in this And film. also, Ruby has never interacted with men before. That was the other kind of uncomfortable thing I found about their relationship in the book, because Mm -hmm. it's basically she falls in love with the first boy she meets. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I I mean, it just, (laughs) it's more like, oh, he's my one and only. I know, I'm just messing with you. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to make it not about you. Yeah, everything's about me. I agree. So the final one that I have, and this is me reading between the lines, is queer secondary character, and that's for Chubbs in the Because he's book. in love with Liam. He's in love with Liam. He's also in love with Jake, the person whose letter he's been carrying this entire time. Oh, you mean Jack. Yes. <laughs> oh. That is I didn't who get I the Jack yes. part, but I definitely got the Liam part. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, according to my eyes, and we've been corrected on this several times because we are just really bad at spotting these lines. We're comically bad at bingo for two people who play every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I see two. I also see two. All right. So, Brenna, if people do want to get in touch with us to talk about how great the darkest minds are. I genuinely would invite talking to people about this because I would love to know what grabbed you and what made you read book two. That's really the part I'm most curious about. What pushed you into reading the second book? Mm -hmm. That's my question. So if you can answer that, you can find us on the hashtag HKHSPod or at HKHSPod on Twitter. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B stole my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A, and if you have anything longer for us, you can send it to hkhspod at gmail.com. When you're thinking about longer things to send us, maybe you're reading Raven Song by Lee Miracle for our next book club, and hmm. you want to share your thoughts. That would be a good thing. Yeah, folks, it's our final book club of the year, so we'd really love to hear from you. And Joe, mm-hmm. have you started reading it yet? I have not. I just picked it up from the library today. Okay, it has some important temporal resonances for the moment that we are living through right now. Okay, I will Mm -hmm. keep an ear out. Nope, I will keep an eye out. That too. (laughs) (laughs) And Bretta, where are we headed next week? We are heading to Wales, Joe. We are going to be watching a short run series. It's five episodes available on CBC Gem. You can also get it on the BBC Player app. It's called In My Skin, and it's about a teenage girl growing up in Wales. She's pregnant. Her mom has some issues, and it's British, so it's super, super dark. Yay! We (laughs) love super, super dark British things. (laughs) We do. But it's a comedy, a super, super dark British comedy. I mean, I honestly do love those. (laughs) I know, me too. And then after that, the next book we are reading is A Walk to Remember, my first ever Nicholas Sparks joke. Ah! Speaking of Mandy Moore. Oh, is she in that? Yeah, baby. She is the female character, and it's time to get sick lit with it. Oh, wow. Sick lit and Nicholas Sparks. What Mm -hmm. did I do to deserve this? so excited. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a time, y'all. So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Remember E-O-D. No, E-D-O. Oh, never mind. I ruined it. (laughs) You tried so hard. (laughs) Shall we YA bingo this, uh... I was going to say the sucker, but that seems rude. Yes, it's, I mean, it's so interesting how power functions in the text, and yet we don't get, we don't get any meditation on that. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, if you're going to keep doing that, just ow, 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 ow.